Hello. Hello. Hola. Hola. Bonjour. Здравствуйте. Bienvenidos and welcome to Radio Natura. Radio Natura. To Radio Natura. Voices from around the world, bringing you all things related to nature and sustainability. Rethinking what it means to live in peace with nature and imagining a brighter future. Brought to you by the Pax Natura Foundation. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Radio Natura. My name is Kevin Chung. Today's episode will talk about animation and environmentalism. Today, preserving nature and protecting the environment will require huge changes in our society. That's why there is an urgent need to take actions quickly on a global scale. But in order to effectively raise awareness about our planet, we need to transmit the right idea. It doesn't have to be too complicated to be understood, but it needs to be impactful enough to get actions. That's why we need powerful and inspiring instruments to convey the right message to change human behavior. And for that, modern media has a key role to play. But media can come in different formats. And due to the inherent complexity and dynamic nature of climate change, we need more moral narratives, more immersive visuals, and more powerful storytelling in order to better understand the world we live in. Our host today is Ms. Yuan Pan, a research associate in Natural Capital. Her research focuses on conservation and understanding biodiversity into the natural capital approach. Apart from that, Yuan is deeply passionate about animation, especially when it comes to Japanese filmmaker and animator Hayao Miyazaki. This personal passion to her research work has led her to publish a paper in April 2020 on the human-nature relationships in East Asian animated films. In this paper, Yuan explores the lessons that we can learn from Miyazaki's films regarding human-nature relationships and how to create powerful narratives that resonate with audiences and transcend cultural barriers. To know more about this insightful paper, you can have access to the research paper in the link below. Um, again, thank you very much for accepting our invitation. Uh, before we begin, could you please present yourself? Hi Kevin. Uh, yeah, like you said, uh, I'm Yuan Pam. Uh, I'm currently a research associate at the University of Cambridge Conservation Research Institute. Uh, it stands for UCCRI. Uh, it's a very unique institute in that uh, it's part of the university, but we also have a lot of conservation NGOs working in the building with us. So our research is not only academic, but also quite applied in terms of uh, conservation research. Conservation must be a very interesting and committing field of research. So I guess all your studies are related to topics such as preservation, ecosystems or natural capital. However, you decided for your recent publication to write something about animation. So then, why have you written a paper on that subject? Um, so yeah, so this is not actually my field of research, it's just uh, my passion, I guess. Uh, I think because during the pandemic, the UK had a lockdown, obviously. So I had some time to think about this. And in conservation, we've been talking a lot about human nature relationships, I work in the field of ecosystem services and natural capital, which is uh, the benefits that nature bring us and the stock of natural resources. 
Um, a lot of these kind of buzzwords that were in conservation, I kind of suddenly thought actually Miyazaki had already addressed them in his films, but not in a very complicated and academic way that the general public can't understand. And part of conservation is about changing human behavior and our relationship with nature. And unfortunately, as much as I love my academic research, I don't think that's going to be the key to changing human behavior. Whereas I think things like animated films, stories and books, they do have the power to transform people. So that's why I wrote this paper. Well, the point you raise is very interesting. It seems that still today there is kind of a disconnect between conservation in academia and the general public, especially regarding environmentalism. I think Miyazaki was one of the first to successfully connect these two spheres with his work. And like you said, he managed to present complex problems facing human society and environmental protection, but in a very subtle way. So I was wondering, how does he depict the environment in his movies? Um, so I think in terms of how Miyazaki depicts the environment in his movies, um, I think it's quite interesting in that in films such as Totoro, um, he depicts nature as a place of healing for humans, both mental and physical healing, especially for the two young girls in the film where they've moved away from the house to the countryside and their mother is ill. And we see in that film that nature is really somewhere where they can learn to heal because they both have both mental and some health issues regarding their um, mother. But I think it's also interesting in that Miyazaki shows that nature is not just a nice place, that nature can fight back and it's not always tame. And that's shown in the films like uh, Nausicaa, Valley of the Wind or Princess Mononoke. And it's quite prominent in Princess Mononoke that it's a very violent and bloodthirsty film. I would say definitely not suitable for younger children. But in that film, we see that if we do not respect nature, nature will bring us death, as we are seeing kind of right now with the pandemic. And I think it's interesting that Miyazaki shows this duality of nature, that nature brings us benefits, but it can also bring us diseases and other things if we do not respect nature. All right, I see your point, but I was wondering, in many of his films, Miyazaki showed a great concern with nature and sort of the human impact on the environment. Well, it's like nature played kind of a greater role in his stories. So has this become, through his career, a growing concern? Like, can we consider him as an environmentalist? Um, so I definitely think, personally, that Miyazaki is definitely an environmentalist. Uh, and I think I saw in one of his interviews that it was because um, he was given a botany book by a friend and reading through, I think he was really inspired by the plants that he saw in the book. Um, he also does um, a lot of actions that does show that he is an environmentalist. So he has said in interviews that he actually volunteers with his local river trust to clean up the rubbish in the rivers. And this actually inspired uh, one of the stories in Spirit of the Way, where basically uh, a, a, a very dirty kind of spirit comes into the spirit bathhouse. And the whole bathhouse tries to clean up the spirit. And from within the spirit, they pull out um, even like a bike and a lot of rubbish that comes out. And Miyazaki said himself that this was inspired by his own experience of cleaning up the local river. Reading through your paper, at some point you mentioned Disney and Pixar movies. Having said that, what are your thoughts 
on Western animation industry? Does it successfully describe the human nature relationship like Miyazaki's movies? Or maybe they do it in a different way. What's your opinion on that? Um, so I actually love Disney and Pixar, but uh, probably to this comment, I don't think Disney and Pixar currently can compare to the complexity of Miyazaki's films. Uh, so it's quite interesting you brought that up um, because I actually sent this paper to a few traditional conservation journals and some of the editors really liked the paper, but then they suggested that I compare Miyazaki's films to either Disney or Pixar to make it more, I don't know, more understandable to Western audiences, I guess. And for me, that's it's just not comparable. I mean, Wall-E is quite a very simple film about how we trashed the planet and how we had to leave the planet. Yes, it has some environmentalism in it, but Disney films tend to only portray nature in a very positive light. Nature is always good and humans are always bad. They tend to have very black and white story plots, such as like nature versus humans, and there tends to be a villain. And as long as you defeat the villain, everything in the world is okay again. I think that's a really lack of complexity regarding both natures and humans. Um, and Miyazaki says specifically, um, he hates the idea that there is this one villain in the world. And if we defeat it, everything in the world will be all right again. But actually, in reality, good people do bad things. And, you know, bad people can do good things. And I think that's the lack of complexity currently I see in both Disney and Pixar films. Mm, okay, thank you for your answer. And do you think that Disney and Pixar are being simple on purpose? I think they are being simple on purpose because they think that children will only understand very simple stories. But Miyazaki doesn't believe that. And I think having talked to younger children, they do, they can understand complexity in stories. And I don't think it's always good uh, to feed children when they're younger about these stories where it's very black and white, where there's a bad person and you defeat them and everything is going to be all right. And I think young children should be exposed to the complexity of the world. Many thanks for that answer, Yuan. And I do agree with you. I personally think that Miyazaki's work and Japanese animation in general can be enjoyed by anyone regardless of their age. And Miyazaki is very good because his films transcend across cultural and age barriers. But while he uses a, a medium that is usually for children to tackle serious issues, I guess he always manages to offer this kind of unique perspective which is so interesting. And um, having said that, well, do you think is it usual in Eastern countries, or maybe more specifically in Japan, to have animated movies talking about society's modern issues? Or maybe do you think animated movies should rather be directed at um, a more mature audience? Um, I think in terms of Japan, obviously, because uh, Japan has a very mature animated um, industry, and a lot of Japanese anime is definitely not targeted at children. And personally, some of Miyazaki's films, uh, like Nausicaa and Princess Mononoke, it's not particularly targeted at younger children either, because they have some quite violent scenes inside. Um, so I think there's definitely a difference between currently between the East and the West. Um, but then I guess it depends on what you think as animation. I mean, in the West, there are a lot of 
animated series that are te- definitely targeted adults and not children. Um, but I think Japan definitely has the more mature animated industry, so there's more complexity in the issues that they deal with. Uh, whereas in the West, obviously, when we talk about animation, the first thing that uh, tend to think about is Disney and Pixar that's targeted at very young children. But nowadays, we feel that Western audiences are more um, more tempted towards Japanese animation and Eastern animation in general. And do you think that in the long run, there will be some changes and evolutions from that perspective? So I think definitely recently, uh, especially Netflix has now bought the rights uh, to Miyazaki's films. It's definitely exposing it to a wider audience. But I think the other thing um, I want to mention is Miyazaki doesn't actually like mainstream Japanese anime. So I'm kind of wary of uh, calling Miyazaki's films anime uh, as what the West sees anime as, because we've got a very specific audience in the West who do tend to watch anime. And I think you can call Miyazaki's films animated films, but I wouldn't say they are like mainstream Japanese anime. Uh, He tells stories that transcends cultural barriers and age barriers and stories that can transform people. But he just uses the form of animation, whereas a lot of mainstream Japanese anime is a lot about visuals, and some of them not necessarily as deep and meaningful as Miyazaki's films. Well, many thanks for your answer, Yuan. But can we say that Miyazaki is somewhat more political or more engaged than other animators? What can his movies teach us? And does he convey any specific messages? I think uh, probably just to reinforce that some of the messages that Miyazaki has been saying in all his films, that we need to respect nature. If we don't, nature will ultimately fight back against us. And the fact that in a lot of films, um, he kind of condemns overconsumption and excessive greed as the ultimate villain rather than a specific person. And that we need to remember what's truly valuable in this world. Um, And I think probably the most important message that his films do teach us is that technological advances that's not grounded in sufficient morality will ultimately lead to the fall of humanity, as we are currently kind of seeing right now. Um, I think the thing about what does his films teach us, I think the good thing about Miyazaki's films is he doesn't preach to us. So another thing that's probably different between Disney, Pixar and Miyazaki is uh, Western films tend to be very, um, this is the good person and this is the bad person. Uh, This is what you should be doing. This is what you shouldn't be doing. Miyazaki actually never preaches in any of his films. And many of his antagonists are not actually villains. They have good qualities and they have bad qualities. Miyazaki makes us think about um, our world and our reality about how do we make off trade-offs between nature and humans, because there is a trade-off and there is this question of morality. And I think that's important that he doesn't preach uh, this is what you should be doing. He makes us think those questions ourselves. That was an excellent point you raised. But do you have any examples of movies that particularly explain what you said? Um, So again, my favorite film is probably Princess Mononoke because of the conservation themes in it. So I think my favorite antagonist in all of his films is Lady Eboshi, uh, which is the antagonist 
in uh, Princess Mononoke. So in Princess Mononoke, the forest and the forest spirits are fighting against the humans. The humans need to cut down the forest for its resources. And the humans are led uh, by a leader called Lady Eboshi. So traditionally, you would say Lady Eboshi is the villain because she is cutting down the forest. The forest spirits are going to die. But when we learn more about her, we realize that it's not as simple. Uh, Lady Eboshi is a community of outcasts. Uh, she's a fair and just leader, and she can be seen as a feminist. Uh, she leads people who are lepers or prostitutes, who are basically outcasts of normal society. And she is an extremely fair and successful leader to them. But to sustain her community, she needs the resources from the forest. Otherwise, she can't sustain the community. Um, so I think this is quite reminiscent of a lot of conservation research, where there's a lot of human-wildlife conflict. Um, so as Western academics, it's quite easy for us to condemn the local people for either killing an endangered species or using up the forest resources. But actually, in reality, that is their livelihood. You can't condemn someone for using up resources because they need to live, basically. And I think those kind of questions are the questions that we need to think about. What kind of trade-offs do we have to make that we don't completely deplete the forests, but then we are also thinking about how to benefit the local communities around the forest? Excellent. Thank you for your answer. That's a great parallel. Well, it's true that Lady Eboshi embodies well the complexity of our modern world. And I think that uh, part of the movie really shows the moral dilemma that we are facing against nature. But um, in this movie, we also witness other very interesting characters like San, the main character, and uh, Ashitaka, the male protagonist. Uh, what can you say about those characters? Um, so I would say actually... Um Sun's relationship is actually easier to understand. Um, so Sun is uh, a human girl who has been raised by the wolf spirits. So she hates humans. And actually, that's quite similar to some conservation scientists who have a viewpoint called ecocentrism. Um, so ecocentric conservationists, they view nature as the center of everything, that nature is the most important. And Lady Eboshi obviously stands for anthropocentrism, where they view humans as the most important. Uh, so Sun obviously has a very close relationship with the forest, and the forest is controlled ultimately by the forest spirit. Uh, so I think the forest spirit is also quite interesting in that um, Miyazaki has taken uh, concepts from Taoism and Shintoism and blended it into the forest spirit. So the forest spirit may be a protector of the forest, but it brings life as well as death. It's not just a, a nice fuzzy spirit that nature is very nice. Uh, we can see that when humans don't respect the forest, the forest spirit ultimately brings death to everyone. I think perhaps the most interesting character is Ashitaka, who is um, the main pro male protagonist. And he's from an outcast society in Japan. Um, because he is an outcast, he can see, uh, he cannot stand in a place where it's either black or white, like San or Lady Eboshi, who are on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Ashitaka asks quite a few times in the film, why can't humans and nature try to strive for some harmony and live together with some trade-offs? 
And both sides, both San and the forest spirits and Lady Eboshi and the human community thinks this is just a utopian dream that can't be achieved. And I think Ashitaka shows perhaps a way forward where we are not either on one end of the spectrum or the other end, but trying to embody complexity into conservation itself. Um, I believe the movie ends on a hopeful note. Uh, and it showed that uh, coexistence between man and nature is possible despite the worst of circumstances. From that perspective, uh, what can the general audience think of such an ending and what can they learn from it? Um, I think to some um, of my Western friends who aren't uh, very used to Miyazaki's films, the ending can feel kind of unsatisfactory because there is no ultimate resolution. Uh, there isn't a happy ending where everything is solved and everyone is happy. Um, Sam can't forgive the humans for killing her wolf mother and destroying the forest. And she can't ultimately live together with Ashitaka, who is the human. Um, and the forest spirit uh, has been beheaded. But we do see a seed of hope because at the end of the film, Uh, we see one of these little um, forest spirits that uh, represent life in the forest called Kodamas, that it appears once again. And I think that's quite true for conservation research as well. So there's been a movement within conservation called conservation optimism. Uh, when we work in conservation, we see a lot of pessimistic stories. This species is extinct again. That forest is being destroyed again. I think Miyazaki doesn't offer us a resolution because he wants us to think how we should live in this world and what choices we should make. But then he also leaves us with a seed of hope that there is hope in the future. Um, so Miyazaki is actually a very pessimistic person. He doesn't like modern society and he thinks we're ultimately heading to doom. Um, but at the same time, he can be quite optimistic at the same time. I think he shows us that it is possible to be pessimistic, but also have hope for the future. That's wonderful. Thank you, Yuan. Uh, for those who haven't watched Princess Mononoke, it's, a, it's an excellent film. It contains a very environmentalist message, despite how dark the film gets at times, and shows the audience that humans and nature are able to coexist peacefully. Uh, what is even more surprising is that Princess Monoke was released 23 years ago. But its message on nature and conservation may be even more relevant today. Well, since we are talking about animation and the different studios like uh, Ghibli, Disney or Pixar, well, I would like to know your personal opinion on the future of animation. Um, how do you see the industry going in 20 years from now? What do you think the animation industry will be like in 20 years? Um, that's a, that's a very big and interesting question. I think I'm hoping that um, the animation industry is going to engage wider and more diverse audiences. Um, and I'm hoping that uh, Western um, studios like Disney and Pixar, which they are starting to do, uh, I love Disney and Pixar, although they have their issues, that they will try to embody more complexity in their films. Um, which they have tried to do in some recent films, like Inside Out, trying to deal with mental health issues of a child, and Big Hero 6, where it dealt with loss of a loved one. Um, and then perhaps I think 
I would like to see more diversity animation, that not everything will be taken over by um, 3D animation, that there will still be a diversity between both 2D and 3D animation, and also um, Wallace and Gromit style stop animations. And I think ultimately it's, it doesn't matter what technique you use, that the story plot is always more important than the technique you use in animation. And I think that's shown in Studio Ghibli's films, that um, without a soul in the film of the story plot, that pure te technique advances in animation is not really enough to transform audiences and change their opinions. I see what you're saying, and I do agree with you. But would you agree that animation has this kind of uh, magical thing that inspired a lot of people and that we can't find anywhere else? Um, I think it does. It offers us a form of escapism uh, that's not quite the same. It's quite different from watching, obviously, a real-life action film. So I think animation will probably progress maybe it will combine with virtual reality. Um, I don't know, or perhaps, maybe perhaps I feel like some animation could help humans to interact more with nature. Uh, like Pokemon Go has slightly forced people to go out more into the physical world by combining um, augmented reality. So with all the interesting things you've talked about, in your opinion, we still need a very powerful script in order to reach and influence an audience? Yes, I think that is true. So uh, another prominent, obviously, uh, person who is in Japan right now, who is of the younger generation, is Shinkai, who uh, did uh, Weathering With You and Your Name, which was also quite a big hit in the West. Um, as much as I like his films, I mean, his animation is great. His story plot is good. But I think, I don't know whether it's to do with his age or the way that he thinks. His plots do not have enough soul compared to Miyazaki or Takahata, who, was, uh, who has passed away. Um, and I think that's an issue, that Shinkai's films, I do enjoy them when I watch them, but they don't really make me think. And I wouldn't watch them 10 times or 20 times like I have with Miyazaki's films. Well, it's kind of true. I also watched Weathering With You and it wasn't as impactful as Miyazaki's movies. And the same goes for the movie Your Name, even though it was a beautiful movie. Um, before we leave, I still have one question for you, Yuan. With the emergence of new generation animators like Shinkai and the retrieval of prominent figures like Takahata or Miyazaki, what will the Japanese industry look like in the coming years? Um, I think that's always a worry. Uh, just like Miyazaki, who I like in conservation, we all love David Attenborough, who is, you know, going on to 90-something. Um, so I think that's always a worry, that there won't be someone as good as him. Um, and currently, I don't see anyone who can surpass him. But then I think there are plenty of talent talented animators out there. I think I'm sure even when or if he passes away, that there will be other people who will strive to produce better animated films. Well, we hope that, Yuan. Thank you very much for speaking with us. So to conclude, animated movies can have a powerful influence on our future actions. 
Improved conservation and natural protection will much depend on the young generation, which are influenced by whether or not they care about the environment. Yuan showed us that animation can portray accurate and complex conservation issues while still retaining appeal to mainstream audiences. And through his movies, Miyazaki ardently believed that this harmony can be achieved again. And as he said once, there is no order to impose on the living beings. We respect nature such as it is, and not such as it should be. As we seek ways to fight climate change, it would be nice to remember the lessons of Miyazaki's beautiful and uplifting film. Nature is humanity's ally, and it should always be that way. Thank you all for joining us and listening to Radio Natura. Radio Natura is sponsored by the Pax Natura Foundation, finding ways to promote peace with nature around the world through conservation and community action. Find out more or get involved at paxnatura.org.